Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Matthew Bunsen filling in for Al today. It is a privilege to be with you, especially to talk about uh, a topic that uh, remains of some controversy, uh, certainly a great deal of interest, uh, but also, I think it's fair to say, a certain amount of confusion on the part of many of the faithful. I am referring to this whole process of synodality, uh, which has become, I think, one of the pillars of uh, Pope Francis's pontificate, especially in these last few years, as we all look to next year and the Synod on Synodality in Rome in October. The uh, U.S. Uh, Synod synthesis uh, of all of the listening sessions that have been taking place across the United States in different dioceses and in parishes uh, has been published by the USCCB, the, you know, the Conference of Catholic Bishops. What does it say? Well, I thought it would be a very good idea to talk with Kelsey Wicks, who is the interim executive director of the Catholic News Agency, uh, which has been following the story of the Synod very closely. Uh, Kelsey, welcome. Thank you, Matthew, for having me. Well, the uh, the Synod on Synodality uh, is itself, just as a name, uh, the source of uh, mystery, could we possibly say, curiosity, uh, and uh, dare we also add some confusion on the part of many Catholics around the world. What exactly is synodality, and why are we having a synod on it? Well, um, the, the synod on synodality um, is sometimes actually referred to in, in common parlance um, as a meeting on meetings, um, but synodality within the Church actually just reflect, reflects um, a, deep di- a deep desire for consultation and, and um, discussion on, on the part of the Church. And so um, Pope Francis, uh, with his Jesuit background and the listening and dialogue, has, has requested um, that you know, the Church enter into a listening phase. Um, he wanted this to extend to the peripheries. And the deep, as you mentioned, Matthew, the diocesan phase has now concluded. I think I think one of the great difficulties um, is, though, that only one percent of the the population actually responded to the diocesan phase in terms of total number of Catholics. So we're looking at a, at the listening um, uh, and uh, conclusions being based upon a very small percentage in the church. Yeah, and and to that. Um there's obviously criticism that uh, this uh, could have been done differently, but are we surprised uh, that there has been something of a tepid response? I, I don't want to in any way criticize this, this process because Pope Francis certainly sees this as very important. But is should we have been surprised uh, that uh, on the parish level and the diocesan level that, uh, as we see with a lot of other things, uh, there just isn't often a, a joyous, ebullient response to these things? Well, I, I think that's um, actually an interesting question, because I wonder if it would have been more successful on, a, on an extremely local level, wherein you know the people and, and you can really assess and meet the heart and, um, and walk with people. It, it, once it gets to these, these layers and layers of, of larger um, uh, conglomerations of, of people, a certain level of bureaucracy enters in. And I think, um, you know, given, given some of the weaponization that we've seen in, in synods and um, in uh, the last decade, I think that, that concerns are arising again that that the layers of bureaucracy involved in in this synodal process are actually confusing it. Whereas if it had been done at very local levels, um, with a, with a great deal of accountability and knowledge of persons, perhaps it would have gone differently. I mean, I have I have um, seen commentators such as Fran Meyer Fran Mayer speak about the the success of of local synods actually because of that reason. 
Yeah. So what were some of the key findings uh, in this synthesis? Well, it seems as though um, there's, a, there's a, a great desire for, for deeper communion, um, according to the U.S. Conference of, of Catholic Bishops. Um, uh, there's really um, a preoccupation with um, uh, trust in the hierarchy, trust of the hierarchy, the moral integrity of the Church. Um, the report also noted that there was um, a, perhaps a culture of fear that keeps people from entering into a relationship with one another. Um, you know, I think that's a really interesting point, given the individualism within the United States. I mean, do people have a sense of belonging and connectedness? Um, I think that's a, that's a large question. Yeah, and uh, among the different uh, areas that were noted uh, in this report, they stress that uh, the abuse crisis has eroded as it puts not only trust in the hierarchy and the moral integrity of the church, but also created a culture of fear that keeps people from entering into relationship with one another and thus from experiencing the sense of belonging and connectedness. The abuse crisis does continue to uh, really hang over so much of what we're doing in the church, doesn't it? It, it absolutely does. I, I think, you know, given the continuing process with Cardinal McCarrick and, um, and some of the um, uh, Volksesti's um, investigations and, and other question marks, um, th- those, that very real sense of trust um, it continues to hang over the Church. The report also found, Matthew, um, a concern with marginalization of groups mm-hmm. um, and a concern over young people's failure to practice the faith. Yeah, and we talk about uh, generational problems. We we talk about this marginalization. They use the phrase uh, that um, first, if those with a lack of social economic power, and it specifically mentions immigrant communities, ethnic minorities, those who are undocumented. I was happy to see the unborn and their mothers, uh, people who are experiencing poverty, homelessness, or incarceration. Uh, but then it also notes um, uh, our women. Uh, as it writes, whose voices are frequently marginalized in the decision-making processes of the Church. Is there a risk in some of these conversations uh, that there's a fear on the part of uh, very faithful Catholics who'd like to have some of these conversations, but they're worried, looking at somewhere like Germany with the German Synod, uh, that some of these, what are very fair and, and important concerns, are going to be, for want of a better way of putting it, hijacked uh, for the advancement of agendas that go way beyond uh, what the Church is actually empowered to do. Absolutely. I think that's a, a tremendous concern on, on the part of many faithful that I've talked to. You know, um, just the artwork that has um, recently been associated with the Facebook page of the, the Synod on Synodality has actually um, given even broader concern to this. Um, one of the pieces of artwork actually um, put in the center um, a woman wearing a stole. And as you know, um, many people within uh, Germany and, and other places are interested in reopening what is essentially um, a dogmatic and therefore closed uh, position of the Church on, on the ordination of women. You know, John Paul II very mm-hmm. clearly outlined in Ordinatio Sacerdotalis that this is, this is something that the Church cannot do because Christ himself did not do it. You know, this isn't an imposition of power. This is this is the, the plan of God that was unfolded by the very Son of God, um, mm-hmm. and therefore we have no ability to overturn that. So these questions about whether or not, you know, discussions that, that actually can't, the, the Church can't reverse herself on 
are taking place or are going to take place are are weighing heavily, I think, in, in people who are following the Senate closely. And and then we see uh, what I think we can charitably describe as uh, consistently unhelpful uh, comments uh, from some of the German bishops, for example, uh, Bishop Georg Beitzing, who's the, the head of the, the German Bishops' Conference, who's also one of the key figures in this German synod, talking about, well, we have to have uh, a revolution, uh, that uh, theology can never stand pat, that we have to dismiss the ideas of continuity. All of that coming together with these types of conversations, one can understand why there might be worry uh, as we apparently set down this road or start down this path of of what is referred to as ongoing discernment, uh, as the document says, quote, on um, how best to accompany our LGBTQ plus brothers and sisters. Yes, Matthew, I, I would just point out here that the Pope himself has expressed concerns on on the very radical way that the uh, German Church is approaching the Synod on Synodality. In fact, he even remarked that the, that the um, something to the effect of the fact that the, the German Church already has a Protestant, uh, Germany <laughs> yes. already has a Protestant Church. <laughs> so, and how's that you know, turning uh, out? <laughs> <laughs> precisely, precisely. So, you know, I mean, these concerns are, are not just um, trickling down here in the U.S. They're, they're voiced by the Holy Father. If I can just... Um, point out for our, for our audience, too, that the um, tremendous ramifications that the, that the positions the Church in, in Germany has around the world. Obviously, um, the Church in, in Germany does um, charitable works and, and funds many, many Church um, uh, opportunities throughout the world, particularly in Latin America. And so you see this, this very outsized influence that their theology has had um, in Latin America. And so, you know, there are connect, interconnected fates here, um, you know, who's following uh, Germany perhaps down this road of in, um, uh, abandonment of, of, of the essential positions of the faith. You know, the, the Church cannot, um, the, as the Vatican put out recently, the Church cannot bless homosexual unions. Um, the, the Church cannot ordain women priests. There, there are very many things that the church in, in Germany is um, attempting to to maneuver through the Synod on Synodality that simply cannot be done and that have been, been affirmed by the Vatican that they cannot be done. And um, there are many fates tied, tied up with where they go. Yeah. And I think this has been the source of some frustration to Pope Francis and, and how the Germans have responded, certainly. One thing I'll, I'll close this portion of our conversation uh, with uh, the, the stress in this synthesis saying that as the Church seeks to continue down the synodal path, a commitment to clear, transparent, and consistent communication will be crucial. Uh, I think with uh, a topic that has been the source of some confusion like synodality, uh, clear and transparent communications are probably going to be even more essential, aren't they? They are absolutely going to be essential. Listen, we did the experiment in the first round where we where we listened to everyone and and um, you know many people asked questions, and now is the time for reassurance. It's it's time for confirmation from the synod organizers themselves that this will be a one hundred percent Catholic event. <laughs> you know that this is, <laughs> well, this we would about, we would hope so. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is about Catholicism. This and and it should go without saying that that is the case, Matthew, but. As you've pointed out with this German situation, that is no longer the case. It, it requires confirmation from the Senate organizers. So very briefly, I want to make sure that we uh, can cover an update on the raid that took place on the part of the FBI 
at the home of Mark Hoke, uh, who was charged with two counts of violating the Freedom to Access to Clinic Entrances Act, or the FACE Act. Where do things stand right now? Well, right now, 22 members of Congress, almost all pro-life leaders, and the president of the Catholic League, Bill Donahue, um, in addition to several others interested in religious freedom and liberty, like the St. Thomas More Society, have expressed deep concern, um, including asking for congressional oversight on this matter of the FBI. Um, one Montana congressman called the treatment chilling um, and asked questions about politic- politicization of the FBI. Perfect. These are all things that we're waiting upon. Well, I know you're uh, deep in coverage for this, so thank you for that. Kelsey Wicks, the interim direct, executive director of the Catholic News Agency. Thanks so much. Thanks, Matthew.